welcome to Counterpressed on the Ringer and Spotify. I'm in the studio with Jesse Parker Humphreys and Kate Longhurst. Kate, it's been a minute. How are you? Oh, I'm very good. I've come in when we've actually won. I know. She's only in game. when she's winning. We should in when she's winning. <laughs> That's why I've been absent for six months. Can't show your face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you won a bloody game. We did. Huge. Should we make the whole podcast about that? Yeah, let's have sure talk about it. It's the game man. everyone was talking about. Yeah, 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 I think so. And you got a dead leg as well. I've got a really bad dead leg. You were limping into the studio. Mm-hmm. What happened? What went down? I made a tackle. It was the first thing I did when I came on. And made a tackle and I kind of like got Ruby Mace's knee into my quad and I tried to style it out. But I was like, oh my God, this hurts so Did you get any like much. physio or treatment? Nothing. No, no. Hard as nails, yeah. oh, okay. Also, on. to clarify, Ruby Mace didn't then assault you. No, assault. no. <laughs> I didn't get any tackle off Ruby Mace for her red card. She just there was some fake news tripped Kirsty Smith just to clear yeah. that up. Um, and yeah, you did limp into the studio today, so you think you're gonna be all right though. Bit of ice, mm-hmm. bit yeah, of massage, should be fine. Yeah, yeah, be fine. Last game of the season on Saturday. How are you feeling? Better than last week. <laughs> um, hopeful. It's just nice to like finally get a win. Um, and then yeah, one more game left. It's against Tottenham. We're at home. Beat them. One of your few wins. Yes. <laughs> I hope so. Um, But obviously they've come off the back of a good win as well. So, yeah, hopefully it's sun shining and good vibes, but we'll see. What were the vibes like in the change room yesterday at the King Power? Good. I mean, we're kind of used to just coming in and losing and it's like, (laughs) it's it's not a nice feeling. I've never had that feeling before where we've gone so long without winning anything. So we just put a song on and we all just jumped up and down as if we won the league and thought <laughs> we might as well make the most of it because this doesn't come around very often. <laughs> what was the song? Um, Everybody turns go up. No, it wasn't that one. Oh. Well, you can cut that one because you don't want to hear my voice either. <laughs> no, no, no. I what think was we it? Do. Something about oh the drinks in the air, something. Rihanna. No. Oh, my God. Why can't I remember? You're coming across as very and, old right yeah. now. No, I know. <laughs> okay, Grandma. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get you to bed. <laughs> it, was, it was something to do with drinks in the air because how I put her water in the air because she doesn't drink. Right. So I don't know. Oh, my well, did God. Did you have drinks? Why, you have no, drink? no, oh. no. We don't, I mean, we don't drink because we win. But yeah, I was going to bust out for one victory. Yeah, we're just pretending. <laughs> just pretending, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't think. I don't know Was why. it that one, the, the Rihanna one that's like... Everybody and the da 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 say yeah yeah. Listeners, if you know this song, please write in and help <laughs> Kate out. Hum that tune. Could you tell us? There is no prize. And we'll Kate sing it next week. Help. We'll sing okay. it next week. Text us. Yeah. Send a voice note in the group chat once you've worked it out. Yeah. Um, there were two massive games. Obviously, the, your game was massive. You know, respect, <laughs> mm-hmm, respect. Mm-hmm. West Ham's win over Leicester. But the two big games that most people were paying attention to on the weekend was the early kickoff between Chelsea and Arsenal, and then the evening kickoff, the Manchester derby between Manchester United and Manchester City, because there were some title implications. Um, and obviously, if Chelsea won their game, which they did, and City beat or drew with United, then Chelsea would win the title. There were lots of twists and turns, which we're going to get on to. Um, So we're going to be focusing on that today. But then 
We're also going to be talking about a bit of an embarrassing doubleheader in North London at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. A good result for Spurs, which secures their safety and puts Reading in even more trouble. But all in all, the vibes were pretty bad. Um, and also there was a dramatic finale to the Scottish League title. So we're going to be talking about that as well. That's all coming up after this. Right, Jesse, you and I were at King's Meadow. The, the the atmosphere was very interesting, actually, and I don't mean that in like a weird way. It was it was you could sense as soon as you kind of walked through the famous gates of King's Meadow um, that people were very much up for it. It had final day of the season vibes. It didn't feel like a usual derby against Arsenal. It didn't feel like the penultimate day of the season. It really felt like this was Chelsea's kind of like victory parade and they were going to go out with a bang at Kings Meadow. Fans were there really early. The away stand was already full, basically an hour and a half before kickoff. People were just really, really up for it yesterday. Yeah, um, Kings Meadow in the sun is like, the best vibes in the world, in my totally biased opinion. <laughs> um, but it was really nice. I think, obviously, everyone uh, going into the game knew it was going to be, like, an emotional day, um, generally, uh, for Chelsea. Um, and I was kind of worried that that was going to, like, overawe the game itself. But it was a really good game. Um, it was very, like, high intensity. It was quite back and forth, even though I thought Chelsea were really, really good, especially in the first half. Um, I kind of went into it being like, maybe it doesn't matter if we win. And now I'm like, thank fuck we won. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a good good end. It felt like the end of the season. And then I left and I was like, oh, I've got to go to Reading next week. So. I know, and that's why... And I was like, bye, Penella, bye, Magda. <laughs> and then I was like, I've got to see them next week. At the famous, <laughs> iconic Select Car Leasing Stadium, formerly known as the Majeski. And that's kind of why I think a lot of people, I'll include myself, I wanted to see a conclusion to the season yesterday because it felt like yesterday deserved to be the end of the season in my book because it had kind of everything wrapped up quite nicely in a bow to conclude whereas next week to me now feels like a bit of a slog it's like there's only really one game that feels like it truly matters in in a title kind of top four sense we're going to talk about the relegation um situation because Reading and Leicester are still kind of duking it out for that but it kind of just feels like this Chelsea Reading game is the only one that matters and let's be honest Kate the chances of Chelsea not winning that game are pretty slim yes Reading beat Chelsea last season and Deanne Rose is coming back now so you never know hush. but hush. Realis- realistically <laughs> speak it into existence <laughs> realistically we don't see Reading getting much in that game so it does feel like to me this this next weekend has kind of lost a bit of its magic yeah we've kind of had the build up all season of the last day is going to be really dramatic in terms of relegation and then Champions League and winning the league. And I think it just shows like the quality that Chelsea have had in terms of the games in hand. They've not really struggled at all. Um, let's be honest, they've whitewashed most teams. Arsenal yesterday was obviously the game where people probably think, OK, that's one where they can slip up. Um, but again, 
I know the the Katie McKay penalty could change everything, but what a terrible miss, by the way. Such her a second, her second miss this hey, season. She is a Chelsea fan. They've missed three, three. Oh, they missed, missed quite a few missed, penalties. She this missed season. one against Leicester, and didn't then she? Kim Little missed one against Reading. So I think they've missed yeah. three pens this season. Which yeah, yeah. So that can obviously change the dynamics of the game for the last. I don't even know what minute it was in. We were in the change room. I was watching it. I think it, it was like, around the 70th. Yeah, it definitely so felt like got, if that had gone in, yeah. that Arsenal could have come back. It changes Chelsea the momentum. Control. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they've not really struggled. And I just think after watching some of the Reading game against Tottenham, unfortunately, they just look defeated. And it's a hard position for them to be in. Um, but I just, I, I mean, if you've if Chelsea... Is the game that you need to stay up. You'd probably pick any other team in the league other than Chelsea because Chelsea just get it done. Whether they play well, don't play well, they just get it done. They find a way. Um, so, yeah, the climax of the, the league has kind of gone a little bit. And even with Champions League, if Man City had even got a draw yesterday, I think with Arsenal against Aston Villa, you could possibly see Aston Villa beating Arsenal. Um, as much as I think Arsenal have, have still got a good chance of winning that, but... It could have been a little bit of drama for Champions League, but now that looks kind of out the window as well because I think the goal difference is. Yeah, they've got imagine if Manchester City did win eleven nil and Arsenal. Lost. Well, that <laughs> yeah. would be. A see, that would be a good. That would True, be true. You last never ending. know; it could become one for the ages. City have been saving up all their XG underperformance <laughs> for this this moment. Buddy Shaw's been saving all those charges she's missed in the last two games for this very game. Jesse, yesterday was also odd because. Chelsea were so good in the first half that from the first that whistle. So no, no, no. But what I mean is, from the first whistle, they were so aggressive, right? And they were just going for it and bombarding Arsenal. And then Arsenal have those two really good chances: that Blackstenius one-on-one with Berger that she uh, Berger saves, and that Marnham one where Berger kind of like nearly it nearly falls back into her own net, right? But really in that first half, it was all Chelsea. And then the second half was such a role reversal because you find Chelsea kind of holding on for the win a little bit. But I still felt like I don't see Arsenal scoring in this game, even though Chelsea in that second half were looking a little bit shaky, had to withstand a lot of pressure. I still was just sitting there thinking... Arsenal aren't going to score in this game. Like, I, you are the biggest like Chelsea fan in the world in terms of just like pure confidence in this team, like all the time. Because I feel like they they prove it so time and time again, especially when they start games well, when they start games confident and withstand those like and and kind of pu- push through on those rocky moments. That's when you're like they're going to go on now. Yeah, I think the the first half was probably one of the best performances I've seen us put in in the season and, and I think what really stood out for me was how important Penelope Harder is to Chelsea's press I think we saw a much more uh, intense press than we've seen from Chelsea at points this season where they've kind of been willing to sit back and, and save energy and maybe there was a freedom as well of feeling like you know this is the penultimate game you don't have to hold anything back anymore um, I think in Arsenal did look dangerous on the break um, and and Katrin Berger, I said this on Twitter, but like played her best and worst game of the season simultaneously. I just love because with the just... ball at her feet, I don't know what she was doing, <laughs> but then she's just pulling out these like ridiculous saves. She's just so chaotic through and through. Yeah, just gotta at her love core. her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think when Arsenal made the changes at the start of the second half, Catley coming on, Cool going off, McCabe going to right wing, um, that really changed things. And Lauren James just could not get anywhere near Steph Catley. She was really, really struggling. Um, it was putting Eve Perisay under a lot of pressure. And it did feel like Arsenal 
could have scored in that in that moment. Um, but then I think I can't remember exactly when the penalty came, but I think the Chelsea made the change after the penalty. Um, Jess Carter came on, went to left back, and Eve Charles went to right wing, kind of like a weird switch of what Arsenal did. And then from then on, I it felt like it it was over. That kind of nullified. Uh, everything um, but I thought it was a really interesting game and I thought um, you know the way Hayes set up having Guru right and kind of uh, it sort of invert into this midfield three off the ball was really interesting um, kind of allowing her to cover Moritz but also give Chelsea um, an extra player in that midfield Aaron Cuthbert and Sophie Ingle were like absolutely unreal as well and you know it was always going to be tough for Arsenal I think Leah Volti always feels like the biggest miss in that team when she's not there there's just they've got no one who can do what she can do because she's she's very very good at it um, and you know having Victoria Pulova and Frida Marnham in those roles I know they're both players who um, can play in deeper midfield positions but it just felt like neither of them knew exactly how to, to link up defence and attack and that's why Arsenal had to rely on those those turnovers and those counter attacks, and yeah, I think I think that was their problem basically. Yeah, Kate, tell us what it's like to play against Chelsea as well, because this part of the season, this April and May, they have just been so relentless. And I don't want to make too many comparisons to Manchester City men because I think it's very different the situation and the control that they've had in the Premier League compared to what Chelsea have done because. Man City men have slipped up this season, but I think the way that, you know, the way that they go about things and the way that Guardiola is a coach and kind of the way that they use their squad is a little bit different to Emma Hayes. But there is still this same sort of kind of inevitability about it. And I think we're seeing that more than ever right now with Chelsea at this point in the season, especially with how depleted Arsenal are. But they just look so drilled and they look like they've got energy that they, that you know, they look more tired earlier in the season than they do now. And that does help with players like Harder coming back and, and um, you know, Hayes has leaned more on some of her squad players who haven't featured so much earlier in the season. But they just look so, so good right now. Yeah, I think the the comparisons of Man City in terms of, I think they play very different styles of football. Um, <laughs> because I think Ch- with, with Chelsea, I always feel like you feel like you've got a chance in terms of they create gaps because of the way they attack and they're quite direct and they, they almost want to draw you out mm. so that they can then attack the spaces. And so then if you actually win it, I feel like you get more chance of like finding pockets of space to then attack them but the thing is they're so good at it in terms of they will draw you out and you think I can go win that or I can if we do win the ball let's go and then all of a sudden they win it back and it's like ah shit like we've got to get back in now because that's what they look for they and they, look they for haven't demanded much of the ball this season obviously like we know Guardiola teams will just pass 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 and kind of like suffocate you yeah. and, and beat you in submission but Chelsea have actually not pressed that hard this season. They haven't always wanted a lot of the ball. They've gone a lot more direct at times. But there still is that kind of, we just feel like they will probably eventually like beat you. <laughs> yeah, and if you've got a forward line like they have, why wouldn't you go more direct? Um, you've got Sam, Sam Kerr, Harder, Wright and James. You know, like, it's endless. It is endless. And then even like when you're tired at 70 minutes and you just see their subs come, like stand on the side of the pitch and you're just like, oh, brilliant. Like, we're running <laughs> to the ground and now we've got three fresh people to come on. Like, it's ridiculous. Um, but they've also got so much intelligence and linking up. And I, th- I do think Harder coming back 
at the right time has really helped them in terms of being able to rotate and freshen them a little bit more. I don't know what you think, Jesse, but it's kind of given them a little bit of a different dynamic as well. Like the FA Cup final, the way that she came on, I think she changed the game for Chelsea in a way. Um, yeah, they've just got so many options. It's just like they just blow teams away. Yeah, yeah. I think Harder's like bit. It's she's had a massive impact and I think the saddest thing almost about her leaving is we've seen at the start of the season and at the end of the season um, her best form in a, in a Chelsea shirt easily um, I think Hayes did finally find a system that really works for her we just haven't seen her play it all year um, but yeah I think definitely Harder is just such an intelligent player and that, that thing you're saying about gaps feels like it applies so much to her because you could even see it in the Arsenal game, you know, like Lauren James was given, especially in the first half, this like much freer role um, to kind of come off the right wing. And I feel like part of that, you can allow players to do that when you've got someone like Harder in your team because she's going to be the one who then goes and finds the gaps that like James has made, for example. And I think, you know, lots of Chelsea's kind of poorer performances this season have come from missing a player who's kind of as creative and clever as as Harder is. And to be fair, I think Fran Kirby does that role yeah. very well. As and, and that's why the combination of the two, you know, they're Chelsea's two, like, incredibly creative players. And that's why I think it's been it's been so tough. But, yeah, she's, she's come back at the right time and she'll have had a massive hand in winning the FA Cup, obviously, and hopefully winning the league as well. And it finished Chelsea off with a 100% win record at home at King's Meadow in the WSL, which is massive. I think in everything. In, in all your Champions League, Champions League games as well? Yeah, massive. we only drew away at um, Real Madrid in the group stages and then everything else was at Stamford Bridge. Massive. Um, and the scenes of the final whistle as well. It was It was quite calm at points in terms of, Obviously, everyone knew that it, it wasn't guaranteeing the title, so they didn't want to kind of let loose too much. But I think there was kind of little pockets of celebration. Um, Sam Kerr, Guru Wrighton kind of, you know, l relaxing themselves a little bit and enjoying the moment. But so much of it also became about the fans saying goodbye to Magdalene Eriksson and Penilla Harder. They got their chance to go on the mic and say thank you. Emma Hayes got her chance to say how fucking amazing her players were and throw some petrol station sweets into the crowd. <laughs> there was one point where she threw a bag and the throw was so bad that it like came back towards her. Um, so there was like this kind of celebration moment, but no one really wanted to go too far into make it seem like they were celebrating winning the title. It was very different sort of celebrations. It felt to me like when you're watching a tennis match and a player's won the fourth of the five sets and it's like they know that there's just one more to go and they can do it. So it's like, like for example, um, is it is it Stuart Searle, who's the goalkeeper coach and, and one of Emma's assistants? It was a lot of like serious Rafael Nadal fist pumps. He was just going like over and over again, going to the tunnel. I I'm thought, loving this tennis analogy. Well, it just, it just felt like it's like we know that they are 90% of the way there. And it's probably going to happen, but no one wanted to look cocky. No one wanted to look. Maybe arrogant. we were we were ready to serve out for the fifth set rather than play a whole. Fifth exactly, set. <laughs> exactly. It's like it just feels so so inevitable about what's going to happen. But I do think Emma Hayes certainly in the whole lead up to the game and yesterday kept kind of saying, you know, we hadn't made any plans, we hadn't made any plans, and I think they were just really didn't want to look too arrogant and making too many assumptions that they thought you know United were definitely going to drop points and I think that's why it was all kind of like you know well and I think it was also about centering 
Ericsson and harder, you know. And I think that's maybe why it worked, that because there was something else to sort of talk about and celebrate. It didn't really have to be about um, the league or the game the game to come. Um, and obviously Magda's scoring was <laughs> very, very fitting, uh, a really great moment. Um, and yeah, it was really emotional, I think, like... Obviously, putting a crying Magda Eriksson on the microphone, I think, was always going to have <laughs> box office, uh, yeah, a big effect. And then <laughs> Jesse Fleming crying as well, randomly. Uh, but yeah, I think it it was really nice. And I think Chelsea are always very good at um, how they honour players in that way. And it is obviously like a shame and a bit strange that it's not that wasn't the last game of the season. That was, but it was in some ways it was nice to be able to have it as separate from potentially winning the league and kind of give them their moments just in and of itself well let's talk about the other big game of the weekend that followed that one the Manchester derby next I have some breaking news guys count abreast breaking a news alarm <laughs> Gareth Taylor has been sacked is set to sign no! a new contract shut up according to Tom Gary of the Telegraph some breaking news. Jesse and I were discussing last night what the latest was going to be and we weren't oh sure God. because the conversations had gone from kind of looking cold to Taylor probably leaving to going warm again to maybe going cold again. But according to Tom, he's about to sign a new one-year contract at Man City uh, following what his sources describe as very positive discussions over his future. I'm so shook. so so so. This club are so dumb. <laughs> what <laughs> well, is wrong? With we'll get them? into that. We'll get into that. So obviously, um, it was a very dramatic game, very chaotic game actually. Yesterday, um, I, me and my flatmate, I was watching this on my laptop while we had uh, the new gay dating show on BBC <laughs> Three. I kissed a boy on the big telly. So the chaos combination of the two was just a lot to like process. It was just yeah, um, overload of my senses. But uh, yeah, it was real like <laughs> not senses like <laughs> sensory sensory overloaded by like eyes. <laughs> Is more than anything. Um, anyway, what Flo gets up to on a Sunday evening? <laughs> no, no, no. Television, television, Going a bit please. Right there, but yeah, it was a it was a really chaotic game. Obviously, United get that really early lead. Amazing, Haley Ladd finish. Ellie Robot rooted to the spot. I don't know what's going on with her, but she's having a bit of a weird last few weeks. She should have stayed rooted to the spot later on. I know. <laughs> Uh, she gets she gets sent off for a very silly challenge on Nikita Paris. City do well to fight back with 10 men. Get an equaliser. Probably could have got a winner as well. United had tons of chances. Galton misses that really good chance late on. But substitute Lucia Garcia gets a, what was it, 90... 91, I believe. 91st minute winner. And rescues the title at the death, lives to fight another week for Manchester United. We've just spoken so much about how it feels inevitable about what Chelsea are about to do. But to give United some credit, they have kept Jesse coming back when they look down and out. They did it against Arsenal. They did it against Aston Villa recently as well. So they deserve some credit for, for continuing to put up a fight when they know that Chelsea are probably coming for them. Yeah, and I think I think everyone or lots of people at least did expect United to 
kind of blink. And to be fair to them, they haven't. I think the concern is, is I don't know how sustainable that is when you think about the future of this team um, and how they're maybe being managed that you kind of constantly require those those last minute winners. But, you know, I think so much of that can be like outcome biased. Like if they go on and win the league, you're saying, wow, like incredible mentality. They push to the end of it of every game. Um, but I do think they deserve credit because this isn't a team like when we talk about Chelsea where it's like everyone's a winner and has won multiple times. Like Manchester United, like they obviously have players with incredible experience in that squad, but they've also got lots of players who don't. And like you look at that block from Myla Tissier, which probably, well, yeah, like keeps them in the game. Um, you know, that's someone who's stepped up to to this level like with total ease and been really really impressive and I think that's something that regardless of what happens from here for United they can take away and they can build on but at the same time I would be intrigued like I'd love to be a fly on the wall in terms of how it's going to feel for them to probably have missed out on the double by quite slim margins and it'd be interesting to see when we go into next season, if that is what happens, like how they kind of pick themselves up and build on that. In some ways, they have missed out by narrow margins in the two seasons prior on Champions League qualification. So maybe this shows that um, they can kind of build on that and, and move forward. But um, yeah, it'll be a really interesting one to see. But I mean, like fair play to them. Like it was a, it was a good finish in the end. Kate, on that, for, for United and City, missed chances have come back to kind of haunt them a little bit this season and it could be those missed chances especially in the FA Cup final especially at other points for Manchester United this season that do mean that they miss out on the title it meant that they missed out on the FA Cup if they lose Alessio Russo this summer which it's looking pretty likely um, and they could also lose Anya Bache that is going to impact them massively as well in areas where they have kind of sometimes struggled a little bit. Yeah, they're, they're two big players if they go. Um, but what I will say is Man United will be a very good place for people to try and sign for. You mean, th- do you think I, people will be excited to go there? Yeah, I think if you look at the development of them over the last few years, going from championship to now potentially champions, runners-up, worst case. Um, I think it's a good prospect for people looking to come into the English League, um, whether they can maybe get players that have got experience of winning. So maybe people that are on the fringes of like serial winning teams. Um, I think if they can try and bring in people like that with a little bit more experience, I think that can only help them. Um, I, I think they've been really good this season and I know halfway through the season we were kind of saying where we think teams will finish. I mean, it'd be interesting to go back over that because it's definitely not the league table that we were kind of saying. Um, Becky, get the receipts, producer <laughs> Becky. Drag up those receipts. Leicester on zero points and look at them, they're flying. Um, but I think if you look on the whole, like, I think within most people, we almost expected them to fold a little bit and maybe not take it to the last day. So I think credit to them. Um, but I, I think Onabadje is the, the biggest loss. I think she she brings so much to that team and she's still very young. Um, 
if they can keep hold of her, then I think that's the best signing that they can make. I, I honestly do. Um, but I do think it would be very hard for them to do that. But if they do, they're going to have to show her, look, we're bringing in these players. This is where we're strengthening. This is what we're going for. We are going for the title. I don't think they can accept any less to keep players like that. And that's the the kind of area they need to be now. They've shown that they're really close. They've got to show that we're actually going to pick up silverware um, in the future for players to come. And they've got to go big as well on on contracts because I think that's where they're getting beaten in the market with Chelsea, Arsenal and um, Man City of, you know, try and keep a bit more of a kind of flat hierarchy. But Chelsea and Arsenal certainly are just blowing a lot of Manchester United's offers out of the water because they can just offer players more money. And it's also kind of up to the hierarchy to really show where United value things more because Jesse... They're going to have to step up because they've never been in the Champions League before. And you look at City, Arsenal, Chelsea, they have now, you know, obviously we haven't seen City qualify for the group and play part of a group stage as yet. So that's a slightly different, you know, that's going to be a bigger challenge than United going straight into a group stage Champions League is going to be a lot for them. So you think they're going to have to just pad out their squad a little bit. Yeah, but there's a couple of things there, right? Firstly, the risk is if they do finish second, you can't really guarantee anyone Champions League football because they're going into the the qualifying rounds totally unseeded because they've never played Champions League. So when you look at the teams that they could come up against, potentially like a Wolfsburg, where you think you can't really turn around and, and tell anyone in the summer that you'll be playing Champions League football next season because we've seen, you know, Manchester City miss out uh, through those qualifying rounds twice in a row. Um but and then at the same time, I think you look at that squad and you have to ask yourself, can Mark Skinner manage a bigger squad with maybe bigger players? Because this season we've seen him really rely on a clear starting eleven with maybe two or three other players in terms of rotating Paris and Garcia and Rachel Williams and Martha Thomas being used as well. And there's been a lot of players who've kind of missed out as a result. Um, so equally, I think, Kate's right in terms of it's a very attractive prospect because I do feel like if you're a good younger player, there are positions in that squad where you probably think you can break break into it. You know, if you're if you're a number nine looking for a big move and Rousseau is going, you're like, well, that's a vacated space. But then equally, Mark Skinner feels like he could do something bonkers and play Rachel Williams there for the, the entirety <laughs> of last for the entirety of all of next season. So I think Skinner's big challenge will be can you go from using 13, 14 players to being more like Emma Hayes and, and using 20 and keeping a whole squad happy and um, being able to confuse teams in that sense. Because we said it before the FA Cup final and to be fair, Chelsea like struggled even though they they knew how United were going to set up. But that's an advantage to opposition teams. If, if you can go and watch all of United's games this season and be like, they play with these players and they play exactly the same way. And that's the difference between maybe like an Arsenal or a Chelsea, whereby they've got different formations, they've got different personnel, they can change stuff up, stuff up within games that are going to create problems for an opposition that maybe they've not thought of, maybe that they then have to deal with like on the fly. Um, and whether Skinner, as a person, as a coach, can deal with that, I think will be the big determining factor if of how, whether we see Manchester United go to an extra level next season. And... It also is a big challenge managing bigger names, bigger personalities. And we've seen that, you know, potentially impact some of 
these negotiations with Alyssa Russo, these negotiations with Onobache. He did say after the game yesterday that um, you know they still hope that those players will stay and... Um, it's, but if they don't, it's not one player that will make Manchester United a team. Now, we know with Alyssa Russo especially, there has been lots of lots of reports around her going to Arsenal. And she was obviously close in January. And that looks like the most, most likely rival to Manchester United to secure her. But I also want to touch on her performances this season because we saw another fairly quiet performance from her. If she does stay at Manchester United or if she moves to Arsenal, well, I think people will expect and she will need to level up in many ways because the fact that there has been this narrative around her future so much as well is that people are sitting up and paying attention. Obviously, she had a phenomenal Euros as well. The expectations are high and there is an understanding and a feeling like she can push on and get there, Jesse. But... I do think we probably have left a little bit disappointed watching Alessia Russo this campaign. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, it kind of said everything that she was going off after 65 minutes last night when Manchester United needed to win to stay in the title race. I think that kind of tells you about the the position she's in in the club. And maybe Skinner's right then in that sense to be like one player won't make a team if you're talking about Alessia Russo because it doesn't feel at the moment like United need her or it doesn't feel like yeah what's good about United is coming from Rousseau I think yeah Onabadio is like a lot more of a an obvious person to look at in that sense um and I think for Rousseau it's very weird right because I feel like the Euros did such a weird thing to her standing within English football off the basis of not a huge amount like obviously she came on and she played well and she scored some some fantastic goals. And I think everyone knows that she's got a really high ceiling. There's a lot of technical quality there. But it wasn't like we'd ever really seen this incredible level from her in sort of domestic football. I think there'd been pockets, but the thing is her domestic career had always been hampered by injury. Yes. I think there'd been like a few months here and there where we'd seen how good she could be. Like one of her first few games where she scored two goals in quite quick succession under Casey Stoney and everyone was like wow okay this is you know this is what we've heard about this player but I do think she's always someone that has been impacted by injury and obviously what you do for England is always going to get you a bigger reputation in many ways than what you do on the domestic stage yeah, and that and is then, why. And then suddenly Ellen White retires and then you're England's number nine in waiting having really not played a whole load of football in reality um, and like I don't know only she can speak to maybe how that might have affected her how the like contract negotiations and potentially moving might have affected her um, I do kind of wonder if her and Toon playing together isn't the the way to get the best out of Rousseau and I think that would be the most interesting thing about seeing her move and I think sometimes also players just need new environments need to be challenged in different ways maybe the coaching staff at United aren't giving her exactly what she needs that doesn't have to be like negative on the coaching staff like football's about relationships right sometimes your relationships don't work out in the way people want them to and and sometimes you just need a change of environment to to get the, the most out of you um I think the thing that will be tough for her is she's going to go into a summer with potentially as England starting number nine with a huge amount of pressure on her in a team which is like an England team which is looking quite threadbare which will only like ramp up that pressure potentially before being one of the biggest most talked about signings of the summer uh, in terms of if the off-field stuff has maybe affected her, 
that feels concerning because it's only going to get more intense over the next couple of months. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. And you'd imagine most of these players are going to want to try and sort some, some, something out before the World Cup in these next couple of weeks when the season ends. Kate, before we touch on City and that news on Gareth Taylor, what is it like being a player when you do know that like people are talking about you or there is you know contract issues going on in the background? Like, Obviously, you've, you've been in the WSL a fair amount of time now. So have you always manage to just kind of block that out or is it is it quite difficult to not think about those kind of contract situations when you're playing yeah I mean I'm not getting the not had the same level of uh, <laughs> expectation put on my shoulders to carry the nation um, Serena you know, she's yeah. still here she's still ready to go I used to play up front Serena if you need me um but in terms of contracts yeah it, of course it's a bit difficult because you're you're a little bit uncertain of what's going to happen. Um, I, I also can depend on the stage in your career. I think as I've got older, you become a little bit more experienced with how to deal with stuff and you can maybe separate off-field things going on and on-field things. Whereas maybe when I was a bit younger, maybe you take your emotions more on the pitch or you think, oh, everything's going wrong and, and you don't know how to deal with that. I think with, with Russo... I think like you touched on, this summer changed her life in mm. terms of she wasn't really spoken about a lot. Yes, she she came with a good reputation of being a young potential player. I think when you have the young tag, it's like you can get away with things. So if you have a bad game, you're young. Um, you know, you can get when away with When did your young more. tag go, go out When I was door. about 33, I've got, away, <laughs> I've got away with a lot. <laughs> um, but, you know, so she, she hasn't had that pressure and I can only imagine now, because of the Ellen White thing, it's probably actually not come at a good time for her in terms of now this whole expectation on her. Then you get Beth Mead's injury and then it's almost like, where are the goals going to come from? Um, and You know, we do have other options at England, but Serena has seemed to go with Russo more than anyone else at the moment. Um, so, yeah, whether whether I, I think the thing in January probably didn't help in terms of She's almost like, well, she's going here and then is she going there and does she want the move? I don't know whether she definitely wanted the move in, in the January window. Um, but then if she did, if that's gone against you, you've then already got to refocus and be like, right, well, I'm here now for six months. I've got to, I've got to keep going. Um, but I think the good thing is that Man United have still been getting results on the pitch. So you would hope that that's enough to kind of keep you motivated keep keep you going and also a World Cup you want to perform to get yourself in the squad and get yourself in the starting lineup. so I think only she can say whether that's affected her or not I do think when I looked at her at the beginning of the season I had maybe a little bit more expectations of her this season but that's also not to say she's had a bad season um, or that she's a bad player because I think she's a, a fantastic player I think she's got so much potential um, and can bring a lot to Man United and England. Um, but clearly something is not 100% right there. Let's talk about Manchester City, Jesse, because it's been a really disappointing end of the season for them. They're probably going to miss out on Champions League and they had it well within their hands. Back-to-back defeats puts them pretty much out of contention unless they can pull off a, a crazy win on the end of the season and Arsenal lose. We have long thought for a while that Gareth Taylor cannot get the best out of this group. He 
is now set to be offered a new contract. I think that has taken a lot of the timeline by surprise because I think people thought that they were going to perhaps go for someone different this summer. City do like to recruit within the City group for the you know managers, but it felt like they needed a change this summer to try and actually get the best out of a really, really talented group. Yeah, and I think maybe what sums it up is just like, with Gareth Taylor there, is there any fear factor around the City team? Like, is he a kind of manager who, given what we've seen, other coaches, other teams are going to think about playing City and be like, this guy could just pull something out the back. Um, and I think that's kind of the problem. Like, yeah, City, they've got like talented players. They're always going to win games, you know? And there's, there's games where they played really well. I think... Um, when they played Arsenal at home, that was probably one of their most impressive performances of the season. Obviously, they beat Chelsea there as well. They didn't really think they were as good uh, then. Um, but equally, you can watch something last night, like last night, and just be like, "What is going on here? Why am I having to watch Esme Morgan like invert into the midfield, and then there's just so much space for Leah Gotten? Like that kind of stuff. It's like you're you're trying to be cleverer than I think you are." Um, is the problem and I I do think I think there's a sense of City have been unfortunate at points this season I also think there's a sense of maybe they've done better than we should have expected given the number of departures last year you know like they they did lose five first team starters that's tough and until the last two weeks they were still within a shot of, of getting Champions League football but then I think for me, the question has always been is, is like, does it feel like players at Manchester City are getting better? And that's something that I feel like I've still got a big question mark over. Like, even when they put together good games, like when I look at Lauren Hemp, Chloe Kelly, like these are very talented players. But I'm like, do I really feel like they've pushed on over the past couple of years? And, and I think the answer has to be no. And obviously you see players like Bonnie Shaw and like, She's a player who's always going to score goals, who's always going to look good. But in terms of like building a team and they're going so big on the, on the younger profiles of player, which I really like, I think it's a really, really sensible idea. I do think Manchester City have one of the best transfer policies in the league in terms of who they recruit and how they recruit. But then you're marrying it up with someone who just has repeatedly shown that they can't, they can't compete at the highest level. And that's what feels so bizarre of like, why aren't you like? Is no one watching these games? I don't. I just don't. I just don't understand it. Um, and I don't think Taylor's like an awful coach. I just don't think he's a coach who's ever going to win you the league. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm speechless. Did you freeze? No, I didn't. Because I, I, I that was so weird. I, I was like looking at you. And you were just, <laughs> I was waiting for a noise. I was just, yeah, I'm speechless. And yeah, I do agree with you. I think think there is this kind of element as well in the WSL that there will always be enough individual talent to get you by in games. And I think Manchester City under Gareth Taylor, that's kind of been their theme throughout his tenure is that they have so much talent. They are pretty one-dimensional. Lauren Hemp, Chloe Kelly, Bunny Shaw... They're probably going to get you enough in a lot of games, right? Um, especially against some of the teams in this division who are just kind of like so far away from what Man City have to work with. But yeah, it is that progress, Jesse, where you're kind of like, right, where is the direction? Where are you going? Because now it feels like they are so far off the long-term 
projects, obviously Chelsea are well in, you know, well in 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 their strategy and and kind of coming maybe towards the end of their cycle, but it seems never ending under Emma Hayes. But Arsenal, you kind of, you know, they've they've had tough injuries, but you can kind of see where Jonas Adevar's going. Manchester United, they are showing progress year on year and they've got a big summer coming up. But Manchester City, you're thinking, right, are you guys actually going to challenge for a title again? What what is going to be the end game for this group and Gareth Taylor? Because I just can't really see beyond just kind of like steadily being a bit up and down. They had a poor start. They they went on a really good run, and now it's dipped again. At the end of the season, Kate. I mean, what's it going to be now? Like going forward, they could face another another summer of mass exodus. Yeah, I don't know what their contract situations are like, um, but they do have a lot of talented players that will want to win things. So you've you've got to almost sell it to them that they can win something there. Um, I know Yui Hasegawa went there because she wants Champions League football and she likes the way Man City play, but now it looks like they're not going to get Champions League football. So in the, in the transfer window, how do you attract the players that maybe have got better options in terms of Arsenal, Chelsea and Man United if you can't offer them even a glimmer of hope for Champions League football, you know, there's no qualification for it uh, if they miss out. So I don't really know what the answer is in terms of, I think Taylor's done an okay job in terms of he has lost a lot of players and he has had to keep rebuilding. Um, But I also think the potential that that club has, the finances that they have, the facilities that they have, they have to be in the Champions League year on year. They have to be competing for the title year on year. And I think they started the season badly. They then went on that incredible run where they brought themselves back in with a chance and then they faltered again. So clearly something when when it comes down to the nitty gritty, something's not working, something's not clicking. They're not a team, like you said, they're not a team where you, you go... We're frightened of playing them. They can listen. They can rip you to shreds. They can on their day. They can. They've got so many incredible players, but they're not a team where you go. They're going to absolutely destroy us today. You always feel like you might have a chance if you can just hold on in the game. You feel like you can have a chance, and I think that's kind of the difference of where Chelsea are, uh, where Man United are, are maybe trying to get to. I don't think they're there yet. Um, and Arsenal have obviously had a, a struggling season in terms of injuries and stuff, but Man City are just not on that level at the moment where you go, they're definitely going to win that game. They lost to Liverpool, which is really a game where you'd think that's, hey, a, that's three it's points. It's cool to lose to Liverpool. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All the cool kids are doing it. <laughs> yeah. But that's but that's the problem though, right? It's like there's too many of the, you know, like we joke about Chelsea like losing these weird one-off games. Um but, but they are so rare that you remember games. them for years. Yeah. Hey, remember that time Chelsea lost 1-0 to Reading? Yeah, Indiana, it, it like where stands you, out. Whereas cities they all get blended into one because they start to lose so many. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and that's and that's also the problem. And then you're, again, like the stuff at the start of the season was tough. I think no one expected Aston Villa to play like Aston Villa have played. And then they had to go and play Chelsea at home. And Chelsea have won all their games at home. So n- there's like no real embarrassment maybe in losing those those first two games but then you just give yourself a mountain to climb and I think it just 
all of it just feels like with the Taylor thing specifically, I'm just like, have we not seen enough? <laughs> like, and I think you're right. Okay is exactly the word because I'm just like, he's fine, but City shouldn't be fine. City should be good and scary and stressful to play. And there was a time where they were. Yeah. Like under Cushing, like City were no, the team I dreaded this, playing most. There, there have been points of this season where I think teams have felt like that, especially when Bunny Shaw has been kind of at her best. But I think the overall vibes around the team has But I just felt dropped. like it was embarrassing when we lost to City. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But like that's like a mark of where they, they kind of are. I felt like that was a game that we shouldn't have lost. And maybe it felt embarrassing because Emma Hayes seemed to like lose her mind after about <laughs> 20 minutes. But that that shouldn't be how you feel. You should be like, okay, fair play. City are a really good team. Sometimes it happens, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I see what you mean. Let's talk about uh, one of the other big discourse points from the weekend, which was Tottenham's double header at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which we had been saying for well, ever since it got announced that it was going to be a disaster. And it came true because... Spurs men ended up losing 3-1 after leading 1-0 against Brentford. There was lots of chants <laughs> around Lee, Daniel Levy um, and wanting him, wanting the fans wanting him to get out of their club, etc., etc. Everyone pretty much left. A few fans stayed to clap Harry Kane because it looks like he's probably definitely going. There was some kind of awkward end-of-season awards that happened. And then after that, everyone headed for the exit. And I don't know exactly how many people stayed because I don't think they did an official attendance, but I don't think it could have been more than like but Flo, two, three thousand. The real question is, how was the box? It was great. <laughs> I don't want to talk about me. I don't want to talk about my experience. You said you had two because... glasses of champagne before oh, Spurs even kicked fancy. off. It was great. It was great. But it was really awkward. <laughs> Des- like Despite the lovely hospitality and sunshine um, in the during the women's game, it was like just really awkward, bad vibes for the women's game when you can kind of just... like To be fair, there was the core Spurs women supporters group who always turn out, who were actually doing their best to make some noise and doing well. But apart from that, it became one of those moments where you can kind of just hear the players talking to each other. And obviously it was a massive win for Spurs. It was a massive game for them, secured their safety, but like everything just became about the poor attendance. And I think obviously that club is kind of in chaos right now with what's going on and the hierarchy and the future and like the future of the men's team especially. But it does just feel like there isn't a link up between the investment in the team, which is, you know, giving them big transfer budget to work with, the investment in, like, the, the the coaches and the staff around the women's team to help them develop, and then also linking that up with, like, a strategy and also growing the support for the club because the support for the team has just drifted so much. Like, there is such a passionate core women's supporters group, but it doesn't really seem like they're getting the tools or the resources to build a fan base like for example on Saturday right there was no communication that this was going to be a massive relegation game for Spurs and the fans should stay and support the women's team like there was no context given around the game and like yes we know what the situation is because we follow women's football we work in women's football but Lots of Spurs men's fans won't really be fully across it. They'll know that they probably signed Beth England and some big players and 
occasionally check results, but they won't know that actually this is kind of like a very, very important game for this team. So if you don't really provide much of that context, they just think this game's happening. But also, who wants to watch their team lose 3-1 and then hang around to watch Well, Spurs that doesn't Redding. help. And obviously, a lot of people are saying, why didn't they flip it and do the men's game first? But you can't really do that because BT have the 12-30 well, rights. And, but this is the can't. whole point, is it's like this really half-assed thing to try yeah, and, yeah. I don't know, like make the, it look The double-header shouldn't have happened in the first place. But also, I think fans are going to be pissed off because the men's team lost. But I also think a lot of them they just won't know any of the context of the narrative around it. And I think if you don't even bother to do that, we know how crap some of these teams market. They don't even send emails about the women's games to a huge CRM database of fans. So there's that for starters. But like actually just provide a fucking storyline for people to get interested in because all they do is just post pictures of one player and say like, really good week at training. And it's like, great, cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, great time. It's like... We need to actually build a bit more of a kind of excitement and drama and interest because there is just an assumption that the people who come will come to every single women's game because you know they're going to turn up and that because you stick it in a men's game, people will go just because it's in a men's stadium. There's no kind of follow-up with like, actually, how do we secure people's interest for more than these points? And the clubs who do it really well are excelling and Arsenal are now seen as kind of like the blueprint. But the fact of the matter is they're not doing anything that special. Loads of other people could do it. They just don't really do it. Well, the other problem is, is that if your women's team is a bit shit... It's very hard to encourage people to to go along because who wants to go and watch, you know, like when they've done North London derbies or whatever, like how can you get excited for a North London derby when Arsenal are like so far ahead of Spurs? And I know Spurs are like starting from a, a further back position, but they're starting from a similar position to Manchester United and look at them. And there's no real reason why, I mean, famously, Manchester United haven't even really invested that much in the, in the women's team. That's why all their players want to leave. Um, but, you know, like Spurs could have done what United have done. They just haven't done it very well. And the thing that like made me laugh the most on the tweets before this game was being like, oh, great, going watch, to watch two managerless teams. But like, it just kind yeah. of sums it up of being like, sort of on both sides. But yeah, on the women's side, it's like you sacked Ryan Skinner and you got Vicky Jepsen in and yeah, she's got like WSL experience. So maybe it's like fair to kind of keep her on as a caretaker. Maybe they'll keep her next season. I mean, I think that would be a poor idea, but like, it's very hard to drum up interest on a marketing basis when not only is just the vibes around Spurs as a club on the men's side and the women's side are bad, you also don't have like something to shout about. Like, for example, I think Chelsea have struggled this season because the vibes on the men's side are so bad. But at least you could say like, oh, if you want to watch a team win, go and go and watch the women's team. But you can't do that for Spurs because it's like, if you want to watch your team lose again, go and watch the women's <laughs> Twice team. Twice in one day. And also... Uh, on the other side of that, Arsenal have really thrived because the vibes at Arsenal are pretty good right now and everyone's getting excited and everyone was kind of backing the club as a whole this season. And next season it could be different. But I do think everything just does, yeah, feel quite lazy. And when the women's team actually did need loads, loads of support, they stuck the game uh, in a very just bizarre window around like 
the team being really badly, no one having a manager, Harry Kane leaving. It's like all the worst vibes that could possibly exist happened in one moment. Um, one thing to touch on before we go as well is that the Scottish League title was wrapped on Sunday um, and there was an amazing twist and turn, which I think some people may have seen on social media, but it was a three-way battle on the last day between Glasgow City of won it tons Celtic and Rangers who won it for the first time last season went to the final day Celtic were playing hearts at Celtic Park they had a massive crowd for that Glasgow City were playing Rangers at Ibrox Glasgow City went to the final day with a two point lead so uh, if they lost or drew they could could have opened the door for one of the other teams Celtic were winning 2-0 and it was 0-0 in the Glasgow City game so at that point Celtic were winning the title and goal difference Glasgow City scored in the 92nd minute, but then in stoppage time, still in stoppage time, Celtic thought that Rangers, obviously their arch rivals, had got an equaliser against Glasgow City and then given them the title. But actually, it turned out that goal was ruled out for a foul on the goalkeeper and Glasgow City ended up winning the league. But there is an amazing, quite sad video, actually, of all the fans in Celtic Park (laughs) celebrating the Rangers equaliser, which, like... That is a pretty rare occurrence against Glasgow City. But actually, yeah, it ended up getting ruled out. So Glasgow City, I think that's their 16th league title. So, But I think it is it is interesting, kind of, I guess, much like the WSL, that, um, you know, having a, a three-way title race in the last eight seasons is actually better than we're getting in the WSL. And they've certainly got teams mixing up as well. Um, we've been talking for a long time. So you can tell we've got our go. producer Becky here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's three hours done. <laughs> We've been here for an hour and a half. Um, We will obviously be back on Thursday looking ahead to the final day of the season. But for now, we will see you later. Thanks for listening.